family and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. This is Tim and Friends live from the Sportsnet Studios for this August 17th, 2021. I'm Tim McAuliffe. Jesse Rubinoff is here for your interactions, among other things, at Tim and Friends on Twitter and the Grams. We are with you for the next two hours. All platforms, kids. Jays and Nationals play game one of their mini two-game series. Now, the television rights for the game belong to YouTube, but you can listen on Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, no Blue Jay Central, though, today, so you've got all of us. The full Monty. Two hours of what we hope is unbridled edutainment. No matter where the game is tonight, I'm going to tell you something. It's go time for the Jays, and we will examine that in mere moments with first things first, then break it down further with Kevin Millar of the MLB Network and Intentional Talk. He's played a few more Major League games than I, about 1,427 more. So just a few. Uh, we'll talk about the Jays. We'll talk about the American League East, which is getting really interesting, especially considering there's already been a game play between the Red Sox and the Yankees. Yankees winning already today. Who are you cheering for, Jays fans? Think about it. Mike Fuda also dropping by to talk a little hockey. So much has transpired since we were last on the air. In fact, the last thing we did before vacation three weeks ago was try to convince Canucks fans to have a level head when analyzing the Oliver ekman Larson deal. <laughs> stupid, stupid man I am. Level head, Canucks fans. Oh, and that's not all. They make Isaiah play like he's 10 feet tall. Sorry, channel the 1980s Converse Weapon commercial first, but second there. That's not all. It's Tuesday, and our next segment, we will assemble the round table, and not just any round table, one of the members of our roundtable has an Olympic gold medal. It's Sportsnet's Michael Grange, the Athletics' Julian McKenzie. Yet yeah, you've already seen, if you're watching on TV, I'm sorry, we've all ruined it. Donovan Bailey will comprise said roundtable. Jesse, can you guess which one of those guys has the gold medal? Hmm, I don't know. I mean, I know Julian spoke to Andre DeGrasse on the fan yesterday, so maybe yeah. he gave one to him and there's multiple gold medals there, but yeah, I know. I know which one. I, I think it said win. Oh. No, maybe has. Oh, yeah. Has. Yeah, yeah. Has. Yeah. yeah. Semantics got it good <laughs> since you understood. Jam-packed show. Hopefully, as always, all coming up. We start with the notorious B.I.G., the notorious R.U.B. That's right, kids. It's a Ruby Tuesday here once again. Jesse Rubinoff, first things first. Let's go. First things first. first. I think that's the first time you've ever used that. Uh, it's it's um, Neil Mattias's. What's Neil's uh, title around here? Like all around tough guy? Associate producer, font coordinator. coordinator. Yeah, I believe the font coordinator would be probably the main title. That's, yeah, that sounds I don't, impressive. I, we, either way, it was Neil <laughs> Mattias who suggested Ruby Tuesday to me, and I had such... Uh, I just didn't want to give him any credit whatsoever because he and I constantly... <laughs> argue about how good Thomas Caberlet actually was. Shoot. Yeah. And every once in a while, he'll tag me on some random post trying to describe how good Thomas Caberlet was. So we go back and forth on that, and I am so reticent to give him any sort of credit. You just did. But Ruby, Ruby Tuesday yeah. is definitely 
Neil Matias. Well, I appreciate it, Neil. Font coordinator. The man himself. All Sounds right. fancy, doesn't it? does eh? sound very fancy. Font like, coordinator. I, I, yeah. Uh, the producers told me that in my ear. I was like, wow. Wait, we're naming people font coordinators. That's the first time I've heard coordinator in a title before. Okay. Enough about Neil. Let's get to the Jays. I heard he's a terrible fantasy football commissioner. Too. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Too? He's not going to like that. Yeah. He's not going to like You don't like call that out either. guys on no. fantasy around these parts. The problem with, with being on the air is <laughs> hey, you, can, you can say that, you can say that yeah. about him, yeah. but he can't defend himself right now. So. Well, that's the whole point. I'm sure he'll be on Twitter yeah. now. Well, if he earns this mic, yeah. he can defend right. himself. Okay. Well, he will tweet I'll for have, sure. Yeah, I'll check he's it. already tweeting. I'll in. check his you profile know. in uh, mere moments Six here. seconds. Uh, okay, so after a day off on Monday, the Jays are back in action tonight as they open a mini two-game series in Washington. George Springer will miss his second straight game with a left ankle sprain he suffered Saturday against the Mariners. The Jays, four games back at the second wildcard spot in the AL with 45 games remaining. So, Timmy, will the next couple of weeks be the most important stretch of their season? Hell yeah. Yes. It's go time for the Toronto Blue Jays. Like, no sugarcoating it, no dancing around it. 117 games into the season, fourth in the division, eight games back of the race, injuries or not, depth in the bullpen or not, talented lineup or not. It's go time for the Jays. And I'm just being as honest as the fan who gave Isaiah Thomas the double birds and called him a female dog. His response was, I'm sorry, I just wanted a frosty. Uh, For the record, I have never wanted a Frosty that bad to give a dude double birds and call him that word. And I like Frosties a lot. All right, so let me get back to this. Eight games back in the division with three teams in between isn't exactly ideal for the Bluebirds, but there are some some statistical suggestions that this team might be able to make a run here. Uh, If I can get my words right, I'll tell you why. First up, strength of schedule. Toronto has the second softest strength of schedule, easy for me to say, in the American League behind the Astros and the easiest out of the teams that they're chasing. In fact, second wild card now belongs to the Oakland Athletics. The A's have the toughest remaining schedule with 31 games against teams above 500 and they have a losing record against teams above 500. The Rays are middle of the pack. Yankees and Red Sox are closer to the Jays with a softer schedule to close it out. But the Jays need to start that run now. Even without Springer, 11 of their next 15 are against sub 500 teams. Never mind that they have 10 games remaining against Baltimore most out of anyone in the American League East. And if you haven't noticed, since August 1st, the Orioles have been the worst team in baseball. Like, they might be worse than dudes while driving in thick traffic who don't wave when you let them in. The lack of class. The O's are 1-13, and and they might just be worse than that guy that I'm talking about. Jesse informed me earlier he is indeed... A waiver in tra- you're a waiver in traffic. I'm an excessive waiver in. Oh, traffic. you're an excessive. It's like wa- overly nice. Like wave way too many times, and then the person gets weirded out. They're like, maybe I should. Do you put done your that. cautions on your four ways. Do you no. flip those on? No, no, no. I don't do that. Uh, every once in a while, someone suggests that you instead of waving because maybe you have tinted windows, which oh, I do. Okay. I have okay, tinted okay. windows, but oftentimes really? I will undo the window and put the hand out the window. There's no waving motion. That just seems. Easier than putting the four ways. The four ways is like kind of weird. It's like then the person's like, oh, "What if there's an, is there an emergency? Like what's happening here?" Yeah, I think in highway driving it's a little easier. Right. In congested mm, yes. 
Yes, city driving. Maybe maybe you're correct. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, uh, let's get back to the Jays. <clears throat> Blue Jays final. When Sid was here, we used to do that all of the time, so don't <laughs> complain. <laughs> Jays final 43 games, 26 of them are at home. A reminder, they're 9-2 and two at their true home. So this could get real interesting here. And it's turning out to be maybe the toughest division in all of baseball. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if the AL East ends up with three playoff teams and a pretty good squad on the outside looking in. Jesse, could, like, could you see that? Could you see the A's on the outside looking in? I mean, I don't think they're going to catch the Astros, but I may be mistaken. It's still close there. But could you see the two wild cards going to two American League East teams? No question. Yeah. No question, especially based on, on the strength of schedule for the Blue Jays. I mean, they're, they're either playing teams that they're chasing, not exactly tonight, but for the majority of the schedule, they're either playing teams that they're chasing or teams that they they have been beating up on this season. They've been doing a really good job of beating the teams that they're supposed to beat. Now, if you could just win the games against the American League East, then I think they're going to find themselves, uh, it's going to be really close coming down the wire. And that's all you can ask for as a fan, right? We want September baseball to be meaningful and four games back of the wild card. Oh, that, uh, there's, you, you did they open up you, a can of worms there? You danced around the phrase that pays in Toronto Blue Jays land, mm. meaningful games. Yeah. Do you remember how long people scream for meaningful games? And do you know how people won't give a bleep if the meaningful games that the Jays play over the next month don't result in a playoff? Is that just because they made the playoffs last year? Like, we know last year was kind of an anomaly just based on the way the playoffs were set up, right? Most people, the casual fan doesn't know that, though. And there are a lot of casual fans who will watch this show because we talk about everything, Mm -hmm. and it bears repeating just because they made the playoffs last year doesn't mean they should make it this year. Less teams make it in the, I don't know if I call it the non-pandemic season, but the (laughs) less pandemic season maybe. So how close do you think a team needs to be in order for it to be meaningful? Like at some point, the division's going to get away from the Jays here if it hasn't already. Eight games is a lot, right? Mm -hmm. But say you're in the middle of September and it's, four five six games like how where's that barrier where it doesn't matter much anymore when are they officially not officially but when are they out of it i, I don't know you go to poff like what like what are we talking yeah, about here like that's I, I, t- I mean when when you're out you're out yeah but it's hard to really like say okay well five games back in the wild card and for those who think that the wild card is somehow less of a playoff spot because you have less of a chance I call BS on yeah, that. Yeah, I agree. Like, and, and I know my old host used to say that. What are you playing for, a wild card spot? No, you're playing for a chance. Mm-hmm. That's all you're asking for is a chance. Of course, it's better to win the division, but if you get in, you got a shot. And for me, the Jays right now not only are going to play meaningful baseball, but by the looks of the schedule that lays in front of them, starting with Washington tonight, um, they've got a chance to make some hay. And Alec Manoa has been as good, literally, as any pitcher in the league literally. over the last little while. Did you get the stat from Sportsnet Stats earlier today? I have it. The lowest ERA in the majors since June 25th of pitchers with a minimum of 35 innings pitched. A 1-5-3 ERA in his last six starts. And obviously last time out, six and two-thirds, 11 Ks. Just an amazing performance. Two earned runs. Velocity up based on his yearly averages. And the thing that really caught my eye, and I said this on Central uh, with Ken Reed, mm-hmm. when he was taken out of the game, no, and he was in the dugout, he was not happy about having been taken out of the game. Well, not mad at Charlie Montoya, but mad at himself that he couldn't get that final out in the seventh inning. And it just proved to me that this guy on the big stage, he wants it. He wants it bad. He's a gamer. 
And I think that's what you want from from your pitchers and from your team. Uh, there was uh, some speculation around Otto Lopez, who um, was added or at least was called back up to the team. Mm-hmm. And people were wondering whether or not there was going to be a corresponding move to the IL, whether it was going to be Bo Bichette, whether it was going to be George Springer. Um, Bo Bichette is in the lineup tonight, so you can scratch that one off. The Otto Lopez thing is a wonderful story. He's a kid who was born in the DR, the Dominican Republic. His dad got a job in Montreal, so he was raised in the greater Montreal area and started playing baseball in Montreal and then went back to the DR because, frankly, you can make more money being from the DR than you can be from North America because kids get drafted in North America. (laughs) So he got $65,000 to sign with the Jays. He's been raking, and he's kind of like this super utility kid. I don't know if he's going to make the lineup. If he does, we'll tell you about his wonderful story, but it is a really good story. However, it looks as though maybe Springer will miss two games here and then a day off, and there are thunderstorms being called for in the greater... Uh, D.C. area for tomorrow. So I don't know if that delays. Like, they're going to try and get that game in. Mini two-game series. Mm -hmm. They don't play each other again for the rest of the season. Like, they are going to work to get that game in. But I don't know. Like, maybe Springer's better off and all this Otto Lopez speculation that hit Twitter earlier today was just... The kids getting a little reward and coming up. There could be corresponding roster moves, and if we hear anything, we'll obviously bring it to you. But it's a good time That's to rest. That's what we Springer. do here on Seven Friends. We, we bring we corresponding do. moves. So to you have you. the day off yesterday <laughs> for Springer. He gets yeah. a day of rest, and then if you let him sit for these two games, and then has another day off, that it's a decent chunk of time there. Yeah. Uh, and the injury, obviously, Sometimes not as bad. Sometimes four games. Yeah, it's not as bad as uh, what it looked like. I mean, it looked bad coming off those back-to-back AL yeah. Player of the Weeks too. Uh, not great. Okay, let's move on. Sticking with baseball, though. Joey Votto recorded his 2,000th yes, career hit last night against the Cubs. Votto is the fifth Reds player and the second Canadian to reach the mark. It's been a year full of milestones for the Etobicoke, Ontario native. He's just the second player in Major League history to record his 2,000th hit, 1,000th RBI, and 300th home run all in the same season. It's ridiculous. But what do you like watching more, Votto on the field or Votto off the field? Like, all this year, right, 300 home runs, 1,000 RBIs, 2,000 hits. There's just two guys. You can make an argument. Listen, I think it's still Larry Walker or Fergie Jenkins. You can make an argument. He is the greatest Canadian baseball player of all time, and he's, what, 36 years old? Maybe he's 37 years old. Um, My mind is failing me right now, but I don't know how much further ahead of Larry Walker he's going to get, but... Given the position that he plays, he might be able to get a few more years in here, kind of space it out. He is among the best players on planet Earth, and he may be more interesting off the field. For those who don't remember some of the things that have come out of Joey Votto's mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, this next record needs no introduction. The big goal of mine is to do as few interviews as possible. You're asking if there's a black market for donkeys? <laughs> no, no, just a, where, where do you get a donkey? It's not that tough to get a donkey. I mean, make a few calls, call my donkey dealer. Someone in a donkey costume shows up unexpectedly with a Vogue Cozart sign. It's Joey Votto himself. Donald, <laughs> what do you think of your new name? Speechless. 
I don't know what Joey Votto was just doing besides inciting the group on the first base side. Not making any friends over there. What is he doing? All of just Joey Votto stopping on a paper airplane that came onto the field. Well, there's a youngster who's looking for a baseball, and Joey has it, has it, and then decides not to toss it, which is probably not the way you're going to endear yourself to the children of the game. Doesn't matter what city you're from. Right here in the front row of the diamond seats. Four lighting children right here. And he says, give me some luck. He gets knuckles from each of those guys, goes up to bat, hits the home run. Wow. How about that? From heartbreak on Twitter. A short day for Joey Votto. To the front row talking to her favorite player. Six-year-old Joey Votto superfan Abigail couldn't have asked for a better weekend at the ballpark. Getting a signed ball from Votto, free tickets from the Reds, and then she got to meet her hero at the dugout. And it's a grand slam moment this family of lifelong Reds fans will never forget. Joey, before he goes in the dugout, high-fives Walter and says, hold on, wait, I've got more. Gives him the bat he hit the home run with and then the jersey off of his back. This is the red surge, boys. The red surge, okay? <laughs> There's nothing bigger or better in Canada than the red surge. Oh, tremendous. So how about I buy an entire section and it's just my face? A hundred pictures of me. Okay. Is that a good idea? Would that be weird? A little weird. All right. Okay. Let's get Charlie Frank on the horn. How much is that going to cost me? $70,000? Oh, my God. All right. I'll take six sections. <laughs> Everyone have a good night. Uh, he's pretty good, no? Just good for baseball. Yeah. I mean, that's we always want more personality and guys to have fun, and that's exactly what you just saw for those last, last two minutes. There was a story on The Athletic, and it was written by, like, a bunch of different guys. Uh C. Trent Rosencrans, Rustin Dodd, Jason Jenks, and they got quotes from a bunch of different players in Major League Baseball. And it's Joey Votto is playing chess, and the rest of us are playing checkers. Red's first baseman may be the most interesting man in baseball. And I printed out the story for my dad, my 83-year-old dad to read, and he, we'll tweet it out. Uh, even though we're advertising for the athletic, it's just that good. Um, and he said, like, I have never looked at Joey Votto the same since you showed me the article. I'm going to read to you one quick quote. Uh, Johnny Gomes, I've seen Joey Votto literally plan out like a month in advance. Days he's going to hit home runs, big games. You talk about Babe Ruth called his shot one time. I've seen Joey do it 10 to 15 times. <laughs> like, there's just a bunch of stories about what Votto is, and it's such a great story. We'll tweet it out. We will. Okay. Um, yeah, so we told you we'd keep you apprised of Blue Jays. We will keep you abreast of all the Blue Jays news Blue Jays as news. it becomes available to us. Has it become available to us? Didn't take very long. Why are you? Toss uh, the follow through. You have, a, you have a pursed lip. Is that what they call that? Yeah, it's, 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 this is what I do. I break bad news. Oh. It is bad news. Hazel May tweeting out, George Springer has been placed on 10-day IL with a sprained left knee. Sideline with the ankle injury, Springer has since felt discomfort in the knee, and an MRI revealed a sprain which is not good news at all. It just so complicates the matter. Everyone thought it was his ankle. Can we get that tweet one more time? Is, yeah. is there a retroactive on that, or is that just 10-day IL? It doesn't look like any retroactive news here. 10-day IL with a sprained left knee Oof. per Charlie Montoyo. Felt discomfort in his knee, and an MRI revealed a sprain. So obviously that is 
is not good news. Blue Jays and, and their fans had thought that Springer sort of it would, thought it would be better than this because it initially looked terrible. He said he was okay. Charlie Montoyo said he was going to be okay. But obviously it's been bothering him um, more than he let on. And, and the MRI revealed a sprain. Uh, ben Nicholson-Smith with a couple follow-ups here. Uh, he mentions that Springer was going on uh, the IL with a sprained knee. Asked about timelines. Montoyo said he doesn't know. Wish I did, he said. Adding that he hopes Springer returns before the year ends. Oh, my goodness. What? That's like a serious dun-dun-dun. We'll see more tests coming. Um, How did that just happen? Like, weren't you under the impression that it was well, they just going to be a couple days? They looked at the ankle, and apparently... I mean, the way he went down, there could have been several different points of impact. It was yeah. just an awkward way to fall. And when it first happened, I, I wasn't sure that it was ankle or knee. And then the limp off... Everyone suggested that it was ankle, and then they looked at the ankle. But I, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I didn't know that it was just ankle, or I thought it was high ankle sprain, which yeah. in football parlance, which is something that I've seen a lot of. Guys are out for a long time with that high ankle sprain. But that tweet from Ben Nicholson-Smith uh, makes me feel like this is something completely different. And I'm, in fact, getting a call right now, which might be more news on it. So maybe we'll take the break. We'll come back. And we have the roundtable assembled. So we'll do the roundtable. We'll gather all the news. Yeah. And we'll try and sort it all out. <laughs> Look at this. You had the Nick Nurse announcement yesterday. This one's a little bit yeah. of a bummer. But Otto Lopez uh, will be active tonight. The Jays just tweeted this out. We'll wear number 72. So Otto Lopez will play. Will be active. Uh, so the utility man from Montreal, Quebec, will get into the lineup. That might be the good news. Also, it is retroactive. Okay. So, good. I mean, I don't know when it says Hope Springer returns yeah. before the year ends means any retroactive means anything. All right, still to come, Mike Feuda on an NHL offseason so far and the potential big fish still on the move, plus Kevin Millar and Joey Votto, the Jays and the Nats. But up next, today, virtual roundtable has assembled Julian McKenzie, Michael Grange, and the legend Donovan Bailey should be fun, and it's next right here on Tim and Friends. Joey Votto on the precipice of history. 2,000 hits for Joey Votto. Before the at-bat, I wanted to make sure my uniform looked good, my socks looked good. That way, if there's a highlight, I at least look my best. Another all-time moment for an all-time player. It's going to be a contentious afternoon. He applies the smooch. She <laughs> follows with the right jab. Andrew Velasquez, the kid from the Bronx. Big moment. Line drive. Big base hit to center field. Scotty Barnes, have yourself a ball game. Scotty B pounds it down for Toronto. And that's what he brings to the table. That's why they drafted him in the top five. I'm just being who I am. I just gonna bring it every game. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. I know it's been a couple of weeks, but the second segment every Tuesday is the time that we gather the round table for your listening and viewing pleasure if you know what i'm talking about and i hope you do because frankly i don't so without further ado from your humble narrator let's introduce the particulars for today's four-man roundtable first up from montreal where he already has 
like 15 jobs, associate editor, The Athletic, Yahoo Sports, The Gazette's Habs Inside and Out, a pair of podcasts. And as if that weren't enough, he's also filling in on the Fan 590's morning show with George Russick this week. That's right. He's a hustler homie. Ask about him. It's Julian McKenzie. Welcome back, Julian. Just happy to be back, man. And uh, my mom is really excited about my appearance today on this show, especially considering who's also on the show. And it's not me. Uh, my <laughs> next guest has been there and done all of that. He's now graduated on to star of multiple platforms on Sportsnet, former Mount Allison University guard who, according to usportshoops.ca, averaged 11 and a half a game as a sophomore and shot over 40% from three as a junior. Ladies and gentlemen, the ballin' Michael Grange. What's up, Mikey? Hey, Julian, shout out to your mom. I presume that's what she's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure that's what Julian wanted to hear off the top. Shout out to your mom. <laughs> oh, my God. No. And finally, speaking of college ball, he might be the most well-known and shortest power forward in Sheridan basketball <laughs> history. And, oh, yeah, he also ran the... 109.84 in Atlanta. Claim a gold medal for Canada and just celebrated the 25th anniversary of that run. Please help me welcome Donovan Bailey. Thanks for joining us on the roundtable, Donovan. Well, thank you, Tim. Thanks for having me and to Julian's mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> yes. Uh, Mike, Julian, I tried to big up the resumes, but kind of hard to compete with the Olympic gold medal ting, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not beating that. No way. Absolutely not. That's okay. All right. So let's start there. 25 years ago, Donovan, doesn't feel like that to me. Like what do you remember about a steamy hot Atlanta night and 984? No, for me, Tim, it really was just uh it was just another day at the office, man. I mean, I'm, you know, they, well, I'm sitting on a panel now with with professionals. I'm very certain that the you, you guys didn't um I guess, you know, work in, in the conditions that I did or or in a fishbowl that I did. But it really was another day at the office. I was quite confident. Um, you know, I, I was very prepared. Uh, I There was no lack of confidence knowing that um, I was a reigning world champion. Uh, so, yeah, Atlanta was just one of those times where, uh, you know, although I was called arrogant back then, it's it seems to be the the norm today. Uh, it was something, it was just another day at the office. And, and, and it certainly feels like... Um, it feels today like it did a while back, except for the aches and pains that I have uh, when I get up every day. But yeah, it, it feels that. great, and it's amazing to celebrate uh, with my fans around the globe. I, I heard that, and we're going to get into that arrogance in a flash. Julian, uh, I don't even know if you are born, so I'm going to ask Mike, uh, do you remember where you were? I was at the VIP, VIP Snooker Club in the Borough of Scars. Where were you? I, I was at home. I have a better story about the relay win, which was... Equally as amazing. Yes. But, uh, no, I was at home just totally pumped. And, and, you know, that was such a great era for Canadian track. And, um, you know, right from Ben and, and Bruni and Donovan and just, just that whole era was awesome. And it's been a pleasure to kind of be friendly with Donovan off and on over the years professionally. And, uh, no, it was, like I said on Twitter, actually, and it applies to so many of our Canadian athletes, to set a personal best, in Donovan's case, I believe a world record, um, on the Olympics at that moment. Like, I just can't think of anything more clutch than that. 
And, uh, you know, that's why we still talk about it. And uh, Donovan deserves all the respect he's ever going to get from now till I hope a long, long time. Uh, without a doubt. Julia, I'm playing. I don't want to leave you and or your mom out of this equation. I was saying yesterday that I thought Donovan Bailey and that arrogance that he spoke of and calling out Michael Johnson for being a chicken at the Sky Dome helped usher in a new era where Canadian athletes were no longer just just happy to be here. And I know that you talked to Andre DeGrasse earlier today on the Fan 590 and that same idea, the swagger that Canucks now bring to the world stage was part of the conversation. I'm not mistaken, am I? Oh, um, I think that it's funny you mentioned that, you know, Donovan is is pretty much at the forefront of that. I always for years used to think that our success in 2010 was a big reason why, but it turns out that Donovan off of his attitude and the way that he handled himself, he very much was that person who kind of ushered in that era for all these different athletes. It's just that a lot of the people around him kind of didn't take to it very well. And when you really think about it, that's how a lot of these things go, right? You come across as arrogant and cocky and everyone looks at you like, oh, well, I don't know what this guy's talking about. And and funny enough, uh, a few weeks ago, I got to talk to Donovan for a story I wrote for The Athletic. And when he was explaining, oh, I know he remembers now. Now, (laughs) when he was explaining to me what it was like. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and when he was explaining to me how uh, he had said what he had said about race and how it's perceived in, in, in Canada and the lack of support he got from different people off of some of those comments, like it, it was for, for me as, as, as a racialized person in this country, just stepping out of being a journalist, I know like I kind of felt that. And I know if he had said that now, we'd be looking at that so much more differently. And I mean, those are just like on the surface of some of the things that he said. But I think now, like if, if Donovan Bailey said what he said now about Michael Johnson, we'd be like, oh, yeah, well, of course he would say something like that. So I think Donovan Bailey deserves a, an immense amount of credit for not just having athletes who are just happy to be where they're at, but are also unafraid of, you know, being outspoken now. I'm not saying he is the person for it, but he's definitely in this country, someone we can look towards uh, for reason why athletes' mentalities have changed in that regard. But don't get it twisted. Arrogance. Yeah, and don't get it. <laughs> but don't get it twisted. Like there's there is a pale dude right here, like pounding his chest and going, yeah. Tell them, like, there was a lot of people, even though that there were some in Canada saying, well, that's not very Canadian or whatever, that's arrogance. There was a lot. I was a 20-year-old grown-ass man, I guess. I mean, a younger man. But, like, I was pounding my chest. Grange, when you heard him do that, I'm sure you had the exact same reaction. Everyone loved that. (laughs) Everyone. That was, like, it was just awesome because it was true. Yeah. And everyone knew it was true. Someone had to say it. The man mm-hmm. said it. It was great. Donovan, do you well, see the, the thing? Is, the thing is for me, guys. The thing is for me, and 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 you know, you, you got to read Julian's article. I mean, it really was. It really captured really what I was trying to say. Um, I, I mean, I challenged my teammates, and and the fact that I challenged, I challenged Bruni, and he got faster. I challenged Glenroy, and he got faster. And I also threatened those guys that when we stepped on the track. As a really first of all, I told them what I was going to do personally, and then I said, "When we get on the track, we're not here to play with these jokers, man. We're 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 here." But but I also said the same thing to to you know to our roars. I mean, to, to, to listen the basketball guys, even like Kelly Gruber, Devin White, the guys from the Blue Jays. 
I'm just saying to you that that like that, those guys or friends of mine. I mean, I, I, like and, you know. So I spoke to them, but I also I knew recognize that all of us have different personalities, but our goal should be winning. Our goal should not be showing up and be glad to be there. And unfortunately, in Canada, that was what it was. Unless we were going to um, hockey, like the World Championships yeah. of Hockey. Yeah. Everyone was just, oh my God, I qualified. This is so nice. Now I can pack my bags and I can go shopping in Sweden. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but right. do you see the lineage, Donovan? Like, I honestly, at the end of the, uh, during the Olympics, like Penny Oleksiak stood at the edge of the pool and said, like, we're young. We're, we're just getting started. And the Americans have dominated the pool. The Aussies have dominated the pool in the past. And there's Canadian swimmers saying, we're here. Like the women's soccer team, like Christine Sinclair to me, honestly, could be the epitome of class and dignity. To put her on the field. Right. She's a killer. Like, right. Uh, do you no, see that lineage? Again. Uh, no, but I'm saying to you, of course, yeah. of course, these are things like I, I, I'm a fan of sport, just like everyone on this panel. Yeah. Like when you see some, when you see sports playing any sport, uh, playing at the highest level, you're excited. I mean, I found myself watching the finals of the table tennis, man, and I'm like, oh my god, the speed that these guys are going at. <laughs> but I'm saying to you that I love the fact that there's such confidence. I love the yeah. fact that as as a Canadian. Uh, there are these kids saying, oh, yeah, why are we here just trying to hang out? You know, I'm like, I'm, I, I was in the studio watching the women's soccer finals with Karina LeBlanc and seeing just her emotion and watching the teams, watching the team win gold and the fact that she had spent, what, 10, 15 years of her life actually trying to get there. You know, so, uh, again, I'm loving the fact that it is not arrogance. It is actually hard work, focus, discipline, and with that, should come should should come confidence. I mean, it is what every single person on this fan on this panel has to have in order to be successful. No matter what, I mean, you have to have all of those tools, or else I, I don't even know what you're gonna do. Like, I, I was gonna say you gotta be doing some other job. Don't know what other job it's gonna be where you just kind of fall in line and glad to be there. At least I don't want anyone to be with me. That have any of those jobs because I don't I don't want to happy to be there guy I want to happy I want to say man let's go crush it. Uh, Mike I know Donovan's not going to do it but like that's Donovan's influence is it not like what we saw in Penny Alexiak what we saw on the women's soccer team what we saw from Andre DeGrasse on the track like a lot of that is Donovan's influence. I hope it is and it should be and I think uh, to the point that Julian was making I'm sure I'm going to find that article because it sounds really really profound. And I was certainly listening to Donovan's comments. Um, I think as a population, we're more prepared to carry ourselves that way. And I think athletically, we're more prepared to carry ourselves that way. And I think if you were to, uh, to use your word lineage, work backwards, um, yeah, I think Donovan Bailey in, in, in Atlanta and that whole lead up to Atlanta, and don't forget the pressure he was under and the focus he was under regarding uh, what had happened just a couple of Olympics before with, with Ben and all of that, and to carry that around and deliver time after time at the World Championships and at the Olympics and then with the relay team. Um, yeah, I, I think it's completely fair to say that. And it's a landmark watershed moment in Canadian sports, Canadian Olympic sports. 
And, and I think here we are 25 years later, and you can see that influence, right? And I, and I love the way Donovan put that. And I was joking about inventing arrogance. And arrogance is, look, is arrogance confidence or, you know, what is it, right? But that, it boils down to those points, right? You got to have an intelligence. You got to have a drive. You have to have a discipline. You have to have a will. You have to have a plan. And if you have all those things, and like Donovan says, execute them, and I'm sorry, I can't relate entirely to all those things. I apologize. <laughs> um, you know, you should be confident, and you should carry that way. And I think we're seeing that among our Olympic athletes, certainly, uh, you know, Andre de Grasse, in a very different way than Donovan, right? They're, as he's pointed, yeah. they're not the same guy. They're not the same right. person. But Andre de Grasse was confident. He believed Absolutely. in himself for excellent reason. Damian Warner is the best athlete in the world. Planet Earth. And you'll never know that because think about his his personality is very much like Mike Smith. But I mean, I'm assuming that these guys are just tired. They I'm I'm assuming because <laughs> that's a lot of events. I mean, I I want everyone to understand this. Andre DeGrasse is the number one sprinter in Canada. Aaron Brown is the number two sprinter in Canada. That guy, Damian Warner, is the number three sprinter in Canada. Like, you understand, he's the best long jumper in Canada. I mean, you got to understand that, like, that's this, this is the number one athlete. He went to the Olympic Games and broke the Olympic record. Again, personalities, we all have different personalities, but level of confidence is the exact same way and it's measured in the exact same way. And I, I, I just love this crop of kids right now. All right, Julian, tie a bow on this for me. The most impressive gold at the Olympics, and it doesn't have to be Canada, but we, we are in Canada, was what or who? Donovan just said it. It's yeah. it's Damian Warner, man. He's the best athlete in the world. That's what that's how we received the decathlon, right? I mean, I I've, when when I when I realized we're going to have to deal with that question, I did kind of look at the different athletes and teams from a Canadian context. But I, I don't know about you, but maybe it's because of the fact that we're in Canada, we're obviously seeing it through the lens of the CBC. But I remember just feeling so impressed with how Canada as a whole handled itself at the games. But you know, seeing Andre de Grasse win the 200, Penny, Alex, Penny Alexiak winning the medals that she did, but Damian Warner in the decathlon, not only winning the gold, but reaching that 9,000-point mark, which only a handful of other people in that event have done. Like, to me, that's the most impressive goal. Like, I'm, I'm not an athlete by any stretch of the means, so I know I'd fail at all of these events if I were to do them individually. I know a bunch of people in Canada would probably feel the same. The fact that Damian Warner can say that he crushed it and is the best athlete in the world, like, that's the most impressive gold medal for Canada, possibly at the entire Olympics, if you could, you could make an argument for that, I'm, I'm sure. His, his jump in the long jump would have been the bronze medal jump in the long jump event. And he did it as a, as a part of 10. It's unbelievable. So we will hand him the crown for now. But it sounds like we'll have a bunch of athletes going for that crown because that's what we now do as a country. We're going to take a quick break. More roundtable, including a new segment that we're going to try out next. After this, we'll bring back Mackenzie, Grange, and Bailey on Tim and Friends. Next. All right, more on the breaking George Springer news and the addition to the IL coming up in mere moments, but the roundtable has assembled. Julian McKenzie, Michael Grange, Donovan Bailey, and with uh, one of the fastest men to ever roam this planet Earth uh, on the panel, we decided to play a game called 
not so fast. I will make a statement, and the Ute Dem will decide, I agree, Timothy, or not so fast. I agree, or not so fast. So let me give you an example. McAuliffe's head resembles an oddly colored bowling ball. I think we can all agree on that. If not, you say not so fast. Got it? Right. Okay. All right. Since you understood. All right, I'm going to start with Donovan. Donovan, Joey Votto became the second Canadian to register 2,000 hits, joining Larry Walker last night. Agree, Timothy, or not so fast, Donovan Bailey. I can't believe I'm saying this. It's very cool, too. Julian, Julian's mom, I agree with you. This is very cool. Is Donovan Bailey Votto the greatest Canadian baseball player of all time? Not so fast. All right, who, who do you think it may be? Well, I think that here's, here's, a, here's what happens for me personally. Um, we are all entitled to have our favorites based upon our generation. Right. Right? Michael Jordan is my favorite basketball player. We're going to have lots of people that say other people. And so for me, you know, you can't, I mean, Larry Walker, come on, man. Fergie Jenkins, come on, man. I mean, I'm just saying that, you know. <laughs> You know, hey, I'm I'm talking. I'm, I'm maybe I'm aging myself, but not so fast. Then. All right. Any everyone else agree with that? Everyone else good with that? No, I, I gotta go with Fergie Jenkins. You know, I mean, the guy. I think he's one of the overlooked all-time great athletes ever uh, from Canada. Uh, you know, 284 wins. He won 20 plus games seven out of eight years. 300 innings pitched year after year. He did it in an era when. Uh, you know, pitchers were absolute war horses. He is the definition of that. So for me, he's the greatest baseball player of all time from Canada and, and on the very short list of greatest athletes of all time from Canada. So, so Michael, you agree with me then is what you're saying. Not so fast. Yeah. Thank, yes. you. Yeah, Thank you very yeah. much. Julian, <laughs> uh, uh, three for three here. I'll, I'll say this, man. Uh, Larry Walker deserves some respect. The guy who's uh, going to be a Hall of Famer. I know everyone's making a big deal about Joey Votto cracking the 2,000 hit mark, but uh, Larry Walker still has a couple more hits than he has. And I know a lot of people are going to come and be like, oh, but the ballpark he hit in Colorado, the right field, whatever. Yeah, he still did the dang thing uh, when he was in the major leagues. I think he deserves that respect. I think Joey Votto in my generation might be the best Canadian baseball player, yeah. but so all time, there are some other options. So far, I like check it. out uh, Larry Walker's road splits, by the way. Yeah. Fix yeah. that. And his defense. Uh, Michael, Usain Bolt said he would put his gold medal on. I'm not sure which one, but he would put a gold medal <laughs> on the line against Tyreek Hill's Super Bowl ring in a 70 meter race. Agree, Timothy, or not so fast. Literally, Hill has a chance against Bolt in 70 meters. I agree. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Is it not so fast or whatever? I think he does have a chance, especially if it's Usain Bolt like tomorrow. Like, I'm pretty sure Usain Bolt's not training. And Usain Bolt, uh, his thing was how fast he was from, you know, the 60 to 100 mark, 60 to 100 to 200 yard mark. This guy, his thing is zero to 60, right? Zero to 40. So he's got a chance. Donovan? No chance. Listen, man. Listen, to- okay, here's the thing. I'm talking tomorrow, Donovan. <laughs> you, you know what? Hey, Michael, I'm talking tomorrow, too. Here's the thing. You saying Mike pull a hamstring trying to catch Tyreek, but he's not going to allow him to do that. Tyreek will be very fast for the first 20 meters. Every football player 
I mean, it's like a football player, your entire speed is based upon one phase of 100 meters or one phase to generate real speed like on a, on a, on a surface, right? And so Tyreek Hill to 20 is going to be out on you saying Tyreek Hill to 30, 30 maybe? All of a sudden, man, when, when when you open up, when you get to, you know, 40 meters and he's opening up, he's taking up three times as much room as those little tiny steps of his are going to take up. So, no chance. All right, Julian, I got to cut this off or this could go on forever. Now what do that you know, Tim, That's my yeah, What do you know, Donovan? <laughs> Julian, now that Tim Tebow has been cut by the Jags, he will never try to be a pro athlete again. Agree, Timothy, or not so fast? Uh, not so fast. I have this weird feeling he's just going to end up trying to do, like, boxing or wrestling or some other sport just to try to keep himself relevant. Look, I'm, I'm not made of stone. I, I think it was kind of interesting to see Tim Tebow try to return to football. But once we saw the really bad tight end blocks, I was like, all right, give up. Give up the ghost, my man. Like, you don't have it. And some people are like, oh, well, he's 34. He's he's just a tight end for the first time. Like, yeah, that's the point. You can't just hop into the NFL and just hope that it's just going to work out of position. I just feel as if Tim is just going to still try to make something work. Uh, maybe he'll try, like, one more crack at it. What if he ends up in, like, MMA or something? He tries to do some, like, kickboxing or Muay Thai or something. Maybe he might do that. I just th- I just wouldn't be surprised if he ends up doing something. So not so fast. Me either, to be honest with you. Me either. And I don't mind him chasing his dream. Honestly, if, if you want to be a pro athlete and you think you can, go chase that. If you got the money and the wherewithal to do it, I'm okay with that. Donovan, because the sole focus was on the athletes and their craft, the Olympics was better without fans. Agree, Timothy, or not so fast? Not so fast. That's a second not so fast from Donovan Bailey. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I, I mean, I, I know what it's like to walk in with the electricity of, 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 of 100,000, north of 100,000 people watching you and understand that, one, if you've got the bandwidth to deal with that pressure, and, and that and that ambiance, you can do superhuman things. Now, there was uh, I, I think that when I went on with, with with you before Tim, I let you you know understand that uh, there are going to be cert- certain athletes that's gonna that's go that's going to blossom in yeah. front of uh, or underneath the big spotlight, right? There's yeah. going to be some, but the Olympics was made for an audience. It was tailor made for that ambiance. And no matter what happens, the Olympics is there's going to be world records. I can't imagine what the records would have been in Tokyo had there been a live audience. Remember, we're also dealing with spike technology. Yeah. Uh, sur- I mean, new surface. Uh, but yeah, not so fast. I mean, that, we we need to bring the audience back, and and it's also another place for the support system of all those incredible athletes to have their have their people. Have their people there cheering them on, as well as, you know, a wide audience that can see real live sports at the highest level. All right. Finally, for everyone, this idea of not so fast was a terrible one, and I have failed you all miserably. Agree, Timothy, or not so fast? Not so fast. Thanks, Julian. Anyone else? (laughs) There was only one answer on that. It kind of scared me. (laughs) Uh, Gentlemen, this was fun. Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you for doing the roundtable. Thanks for having us. Julian McKenzie. Thanks, guys.
Michael Grange, Donovan Bailey, thank you all for joining. Baseball talk on the other side. Kevin Millar joins us to tee up the Jays and Nationals. Plus, he was at the Field of Dreams game. We'll get his thoughts on the spectacle. Plus, we'll ask what he thinks about Joey Votto, the man, the myth, the legend. Tim and Friends rolls on on this Tuesday edition. Sheep Dogs back here, hour number two. Tim and friends still to come. Mike Fiuta talking hockey as we reflect on the silly season in the NHL and the speculation still on the table with training camps. So, oh my God, it's less than a month away. Like <laughs> sneaks up on you. Oh my, everything is sneaking up on us these days. Also, Kevin Millar stopping by shortly to discuss Joey Votto's brilliance plus the Jays and Nats opening a mini two-game series in Washington tonight. A reminder, tonight's Jays game is available exclusively on YouTube TV and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Alec Manoa gets to start for the Jays against Eric Feedy. The Nationals have been brutal since the All-Star break. 8-21 amidst a fire sale, but the Jays, some bad news in the last hour. George Springer has been put on the 10-day IL. What that wasn't surprising. What was, was sprained left knee and not the ankle. When asked about timelines, possible return, here's what Charlie Montoyo said. He didn't know. Nobody ever thought it was a knee because, you know, it was his ankle. And then uh, he felt like, okay, his ankle's getting better, but now his knee was bothering him. And, of course, the moment he says that, okay, let's do, let's do an MRI to see what he's got. And then he revealed a sprain. And I don't even want to speculate how long it's going to take. But of course, our hope that he's back, you know, before the year is over, you know, for sure. But I don't want to speculate on timeline because I don't really know. Uh, wearing a Hendricks College T-shirt, looked it up quickly. Uh, Conway, Arkansas. Hmm. It's not Jimi Hendrix College. <laughs> no, uh, it looks like a United Methodist Church College. All right. Got it good since you understood. Here's how the Jays lineup looks without Springer. Marcus Simeon back to the leadoff spot. Bo Bichette, two-hole. Vladdy Teoscar, there's your top four. Randall Gritchick will be in center and hit sixth, and you would assume that he will be playing a lot of center over the last or the next little while. Reese McGuire will be behind the plate. Alec Manoa is going to be batting ninth in the NL Park. More on Springer and the Jays with Kevin Millar coming up. In a flash. Meantime, Red Sox and Yankees playing a doubleheader today with a team separated by just two games in the standings. Yankees on a bit of a run lately, winning uh, 15 of their last 20 heading in. And if they were able to get both of the double dip today, could pull level with the Red Sox. Let's see what happened already today. We begin tied at two in the top of the fifth. Christian Vasquez has 99 problems, but this pitch ain't one. Takes Jordan Montgomery deep. The solo shot makes it 3-2 Boston. Then Vasquez takes a ride in the dugout. Bottom five, bases loaded. Luke Voigt bloops one. Seeing eye falls. Two-run score. Three-run inning. Yankees go ahead 5-3. However, in the top of the seventh, Red Sox load the bases. One out. So you've got your love. Jonathan Lewisaga comes in facing... 
Kike Hernandez. You've got your love, your peace. Next batter, Hunter Renfro at the dish. Base is still loaded. You've got your love, peace, and hair grease. New York escapes with a game one win, 5-3 the final, as Loisaga goes high leverage. All right, to basketball. And the 76ers have signed Joel Embiid. Four-year contract extension worth, ready for it, $196 million. 49 mil per season. Bit of a bag. Extension locks Embiid through the 2026-2027 season. Guarantees him all $261 million over that time because they're adding on to an already established deal. He finished second in MVP voting, but has never been out of the second round. Patrick Beverly on the move again. Days after being traded from the Clippers to the Grizzlies, Beverly's was dealt to the T-Wolves today in exchange for two players, Culver and Hernan Gomez. Uh, Beverly has been named to the NBA All-Defensive team three times in his career, though I believe him to be a little overrated on the defensive side of things. <clears throat> a little editorial there. NBA announced its Christmas Day games. Are Raptor fans still pissed off about this? Not anymore. No, they no. shouldn't be, and there was never anything to be upset about at the start. Uh, day starts with Trey Young and the Hawks going back to MSG. That'll be interesting. Uh, then it's the Celtics against the Bucks. Warriors and Suns goes at 5 Eastern. Nets and Lakers. Seemingly the marquee game at 8 p.m. Eastern. And the Mavericks and the Jazz finish off Christmas Day. And I'm glad we're all over that. To football, and according to Ian Rappaport, Seahawks have signed Jamal Adams to a four-year deal worth $70 million, 38 of it guaranteed. It would make Adams the NFL's highest-paid safety. He has been at training camp, but not practicing, waiting for the new deal. My next guest is one of the easiest dudes to talk baseball with. I mentioned earlier today that he played about 1,427 more Major League Baseball games than I have, and that's not even including the playoffs or the ring. But at one time, we did both rock a soul patch. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Kevin Millar. What's <laughs> up, Kev? Smash Mouth, Fred Durst, Bruce Springsteen, soul patch, that dude Shakespeare, once rock one with the mustache, uh, Tim McAuliffe, <laughs> Kevin Millar, soul patch. Am I right or what? Dude, fresh. I love it. I love it. I, you know what? I might take this down now and right. keep and just the go soul back. patch. And just go back to the soul patch. I'm with you on that. I am with you on that. Like, I, I, I remember one day I was, I was in Regina, Saskatchewan, God's honest truth. And a guy said to me, uh, Tim, what, what's that the thing underneath your lip? And I said, it's just to distract from this, this ball. Right. Head. <laughs> it's, it's to take your attention down. How are you, man? Everything good? I'm, do I'm doing good. We're here in Austin, Texas. Hot, by the way, hot, always been hot, you know, in August and July, but, uh, that humidity is what gets you, but all's good. You watching any kids play baseball? Yeah, man, the new the new world now select. I, yeah. I was one of the last dads to hold out the select baseball, but youth sports has turned into select now, yeah. which has turned into travel, which has turned into hotels and money and time. And I'm like, let's go, boys! It's <laughs> got to be in your soul if we're going to do all this driving. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was I was just doing the Wu Tang symbol, cash rules, everything around us. Same thing That's happening right. up here: baseball, hockey. Doesn't matter what yeah. it is. We're making it all about money. Uh, listen, I, I want to. We've covered a lot on this show today, and this might be the hardest question of them all. How do you see the AL East breaking down over this last forty to fifty games here? 
Yeah, I tell you what, I, I would love to see the Blue Jays keep getting closer and closer. Yankees have now put some pressure on everybody in that division. Red Sox are going a little bit in the opposite division. The Rays seem to be always stable. They remind me of the Oakland A's. They're just a scrappy group of guys that win baseball games. But this is what you want when you are a baseball fan. You want to see every team involved. And, you know, the Blue Jays are a hot streak away from getting hot and getting right back in this thing, even in the division. But I do think the uh, the Rays win the division, and I think the Yankees jump the Red Sox at some point and uh, end up in that second place. Could you see three teams from the American League East in the playoffs? Wild card uh, both going in the American League East? Yeah, because of the weaknesses in the Central. You yeah. know, you look at the White Sox, the only team there, the Indians are trying to hold on for dear life. I mean, the Twins have had a disappointing year whatsoever. But it is ironic because if you put, you know, certain teams in different divisions – they're right in this contention in the East here. You got four teams that are well above 500 and, uh, you know, three probably make the postseason. I get the analytics and I get the forward thinking. You kind of scratch the surface of it there, but dude, how did the Rays keep doing this? You know, it, it truly since Joe Madden, they draft great. So yeah. a lot of their high draft picks helped them at the big league level. I mean, you had the David prices and the James Shields back in the day, Evan Longoria in five days, he had a contract. So all of their draft guys contribute at the big league level, and then they're able to add what they need for a year. You know, it's like, right. oh, Billy Bean will pick up somebody for, for that three months, and then off they go. But they draft well. They trade when they need to. And uh, you just can't miss in the draft. It's interesting. Theo Epstein told me that back in the day when he took over the Cubs after he left Boston, is that it takes a few years to build a farm system, and that starts in June. So your scouts are very underrated in uh, organizations that never get any credit. All right, speaking about underrated, uh, yesterday on the show, Dan Schulman joined me, and we were talking about Teoscar Hernandez and the fact that he may be among the more underrated players in all of the American League. As we're talking about the Rays, as we're talking about the Jays, who do you think might be the most underrated player in Major League Baseball? Who is the guy that, doesn't, that you watch go out and do it day-to-day -day that doesn't get the ink that he deserves? It's interesting. Xander Bogarts is one of those guys I talk about. I know he's paid like a star. He's got a $100 million contract, so the organization understands that. But you never hear him in that greatness, in that category. It's kind of like, yeah, whatever. And guys that could bunt if you need it, hit and run if you need it, drive a baseball in the gap if you need it, play great defense if you need it, and also hit home runs if you need it, and drives in runs and steals bases. To me, he's a guy that does everything on the baseball field, but – you just never really hurt. You know, you hear it. And I don't know if it's because J.D. Martinez and the success he's had or Devers is on a fast track of being a star. But Xander Bogart sits over there and just does his thing day in and day out. And it's a ball player. Yeah. I've, I've, and, and a, like, that's it. He's a ball player. There's guys who play baseball and then there's ball players, right? And he's yeah. like, he's a ball player. He can get it done for you. And I always say on this show, the difference between good and great is consistency. And a guy mm -hmm. in this game where it's all about failure who can give you something even if he's not hitting. Draw a walk, steal a base, get home. Uh, lay a bunt down, sacrifice a guy over. Like, those things are so underrated in this game in my very humble opinion. My less than 1,427 games in the major leagues. 100% though, but there's so many things intangibles you can bring to a baseball game that day. It's, not, it's like golf. You know, you don't have your game every day, right? But you better putt or you better chip or you better drive or whatever it is. Baseball same way. Xander does a great job of moving runners, getting runners in, and just playing the game to win and not for stats. 
All right, so uh, the stats of the next dude that I'm going to bring up over the last little while have been ridiculous. In fact, he went back-to-back player of the week in the AL, George Springer. But again, hits the IL. Not sure if you heard this because I know you were hosting a show before this, but he was placed on the 10-day IL for the Jays with a knee injury. We, we initially thought that it was an ankle injury, but we're calling this now sprained left knee as per Charlie Montoyo. Asked about timelines, Montoyo said he doesn't know. Quote, I wish I did, he said, adding he hopes Springer returns before the year ends. We'll mm, see mm, mm. more tests coming. Uh, how big a blow is this to the Toronto Blue Jays? Yeah, man, because you're not getting a chance to see Springer do his thing day in and day out. You've had some some scenes where you see how awesome he is, but he is such a great dude and a, and just a bona fide leadoff hitter that this game kind of mixes and matches these days. But here's a threat. You can sit there and hit 35 home runs at the top of your lineup, get on base, hits good pitching, plays good defense. Guys love him, and uh, I love everything about George Springer. It's just it makes me angry when we lose good players in this game because of a little quick twitch, and now we got a sprained left knee. So hopefully he gets back because he's a tough kid from Connecticut. If uh, he is, and he's been a tough kid in his entire life, and if you follow him or maybe do a little research on him, he right. seems like a wonderful kid too. Um, so mm-hmm. if, if you look at this Jays team and Springer, listen, we've already gone through the stop and start with Springer this year where came back for a couple games. It was too early, ended up costing him a couple games. I know they're going to be careful with him for this injury, especially when it went from ankle to knee. If he's missing an extended period of time, maybe more than a week, does that change your opinion on what the Jays can do this year? Well, the, the, the leadership quality of a nice veteran player like George who's won World Series, you know, a World Series ring, the, the, yeah, there's factors that you need. They, the Jays are so fun. And they have so much talent, and they're fun to watch day in and day out with a lot of remote stoppers at the plate. But I I do believe the George Springer aspect is a huge loss long-term for this club to really try to achieve what they want to do. And that's to get the postseason and see what happens. So they need him back. Uh, This is one of those ones you listen to the player, and you try to get him back if you can without hurting him anymore. But I think George Springer's going to do the best he can to see what we got. If he's got to be an 85 percenter, then he will. All right, I want to get to Votto in the Field of Dreams, but I got one more about the Jays. They open up this mini two-gamer with the Nationals today, and Alec Manoa goes to the bump for the Birds. Now, the numbers over the last little while, 4-1, 153 ERA, a 0-9-3 whip in his last six starts, lowest ERA in the American League since June 25th among starters, and I, like, I wondered if, if he was ready, and mm-hmm. here he is. He's been special over the last little. When do you start thinking could this kid actually be special? Like, what do you need to see from a youngster in the major leagues, especially a pitcher? Yeah, yeah. I I think the basically establishing his strike zone, right? Walks kill young guys, and that's when you see the great ones for many years that throw strike after strike. You're going to give up home runs, but I think he's commanded what he had to command. He's obviously hot right now, 5-1-2-5-3 ERA for the year, but this is a kid that – like big body, nice breaking stuff. There's a lot of stuff, but it's learning to pitch and hitting your spots. A located fastball is as nice as there is in the big leagues. And the Braves did it for many, many years with the Tom Glavin and Maddox and Smoltz scene. So young kids establish that fastball. Breaking stuff looks good. But I'll tell you what, these are the opportunities that you want as a player because now you can show everybody, yeah, I can pitch at this level and I am ready. 
Uh, I was kind of skeptical about the Field of Dreams. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the movie. I thought maybe this was going to be cheese. Like, I thought we were going to bring out the old violins, and this wasn't going to work. Kudos to Major League Baseball. You were there. Yeah. It seemed like they pulled it off, and they pulled it off without the formage. It was the most beautiful setting I've ever seen in all of baseball, any baseball field. I've been to Wrigley, Fenway Park, Yankee Stadium, whatever it is. They did such a great job. I, I, it was chills. It was father-son, play a game of catch, have a catch, however you want to say it, like <laughs> the movie or not the movie. But this was the most remarkable setting, remarkable weather, remarkable ending, unless you're a Yankee fan, for Tim Anderson to walk off, Sox win, great game. The field was impeccable. The only thing I say, it's like Augusta for that first Thursday round of baseball version of it because you had kids and dads and walking around and just looking and yet in a baseball field that was made by Major League Baseball and finished in a perfect setting in a perfect area. And I love the people in Iowa because Dyersville, Iowa, thumbs up. They've done such a great job of accepting baseball and seeing a Major League Baseball you know, in their state for the first time. I had to pull out my phone. Yes. <laughs> pull out the music from Field of Dreams. Yeah, that's I, right. <laughs> it, even when, when Costner walks out, like, did, I mean, you, you must have seen the script before. Did you know that it was coming? And even after you saw it, what, like, I, would, I didn't see it live. I just saw it on my phone, and I was blown away. And I'm like, I got to go see this on a TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, you know, we had him on the show just prior to this, and you didn't know, I didn't know exactly what they were all going to be doing. You knew that they were coming out of corn, but like you said, you just don't know until you see it. I think it exceeded expectations for everybody involved. I think the 8,000 fans that were there, there's one way in, one way out. You weren't allowed to leave the game till the third inning because all traffic was coming in. It felt like you were at Ohio State football game, and it was only – no, it, you felt like you're at an Ohio State football game, and it was only 8,000 fans. Right. And, but it was the most remarkable homemade signs, farms, cornfields, the whole shebang. Uh, okay, it looks like we're doing it next year. Do you think this is this is a staple for Major League Baseball for years to come? I hope. I hope every team has a chance to play here. I know right. players get out of the routine, but when you showed up, every single player is like, yeah, it's worth it. It is the most amazing thing to see what's created in the middle of of Dyersville, Iowa, cornfields. That's awesome. Uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, uh, let me, hold on. Let me see if I can play it. Get it, play it, play it. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> if, if you, you build, build it, it they, they will come. Kevin Millar. Want have a catch? <laughs> we built it. He came. We appreciate you, my dude. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Let's have a catch next time I see you. Yes, sir. Uh, Kevin Millar, appreciate it, my dude. The best. Thank you. Uh, I said before this, uh, he is one of the best and easiest to talk baseball with. And guess what? He is. Uh, Naomi Osaka talk next. Reaction to George Springer hitting the I.L. Plenty still to come on this Tuesday edition. Tim and friends. Fuda, Rubinov. We'll jam it all in over the next 40 or so minutes.
Welcome back. This is Tim and Friends. Tim McAuliffe, Jesse Rubinoff, who will be joined uh, in mere moments by because uh, there's been some reaction to the George Springer breaking news. For those who missed it, George Springer has been placed on the 10-day IL with a sprained knee, not the ankle initially anticipated when he went down in Seattle, but a sprained knee. And the worrying part was the Charlie Montoyo news conference after the breaking news, Jesse, where he said he wasn't sure when he'd be back and then added something about the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. Uh, it just seemed like he didn't really know much. So hopefully he just didn't want to speculate and just threw that out there and didn't know anything. So uh, let's get to some responses. All we did was send out Ben Nicholson-Smith's tweet uh, with the caption, the summer of George hits a bump in the road. So Aries writes in, the summer of George... The guy missed the first 60-plus games, Tim. You mean the one-fifth of the summer of George. So hold on a second. What I did was then looked at George Springer's first game when he played outside of those two games he played in May. June 22nd. When's the start of summer? June 21st. June 22nd was his first game of the summer. Up until this point, it very much had been the summer of George Aries. Sorry to do that to you, but... Just facts. Hey, man, if you want to send in that tweet. Just facts. Where you're ripping away and nitpicking at something, you better know your spring, I got your Tim's summer, back. your winter, and your fall, <laughs> son, because Jesse Rubinoff knows it. I got his back. I got Timmy's back there. I got to <laughs> Summer starts June 21st. Springer's first game, June 22nd. It's, there you go. It's amazing how many people think that I'm tweeting during the show that I'm hosting on national television <laughs> clear and on too, radio. Yeah. Should clear that up. Eh. It's not you. <laughs> it's not you. That would be really difficult. Yeah, you are good at your job, but that would be yeah, extraordinary. Do, doing difficult. the Ben Nicholson-Smith Photoshop yeah. <laughs> and sending it out while hosting the yeah, show. Right. I'm talented, my dude. I'm yeah. not that talented. <laughs> All right, a couple more. Um, Hatman says, this guy is glass. Man, so yeah, they've had uh, Hat Man said Glass Man. Hat Man said Glass Man. Yeah, uh, they, he's had not much luck as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, without a doubt, it happens. Coach Bombay says it's funny how many fans Gordon? are saying he's. I think that's yeah. Is the it joke? Gordon? I, no, okay. Maybe maybe the joke's there. Uh, saying he's made of glass. Check the stats. The guy's been healthy his entire career. It's just called Toronto luck. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mr. Plow says that little glimmer of hope wait, there in early August. You can't just read Coach Bombay and then Mr. Plow and not expect me to stop. <laughs> like that's Homer Simpson, Mr. Plow. Right. We, listen, can you please put your real name on your tweets? I beg of you. I don't want to stop Jesse every time and say, Mr. Plow said what? What did Mr. Plow say? That little glimmer of hope there in early August was fun while it lasted. It's amazing. Ooh. It's just it's just fandom. I mean, this is what Ooh. happens. Guy gets injured, he's one of the best hitters on the team, one of the best hitters in the league. The last little while, gets hurt, and fans all of a sudden are going to freak out a little bit. That's just the way it goes. Mr. Plow, Mr. that's Plow. the name, that name again there is Mr. Plow. Jordan says, talk about horrible timing for Springer to go down. I just pray for the Jays and the Jays fans. He is an injury prone. We're going to need him no matter what if the Jays make any kind of run this year wow. or next year. And Casey sums it up brilliantly with... I am sad. Boy, don't get hurt in your first year as a Toronto Blue Jay is the, yeah. the lesson of all these tweets. I understand that the hesitancy and why fans are a little bit uh, sketched out by the injuries from Springer, but this one clearly, like if you watch the injury, that's bad luck. There's nothing there that suggests that. It's not a soft tissue injury. Yeah, this, the injury right? prone, like I get why fans get upset at that, but 
Like when a guy plays that hard, sometimes yeah, bleep happens. That's but that's gonna happen there. I know you want your best players to play, so I get it. Frustration. Okay, uh, moving on here. Naomi Osaka briefly stepped away from a video news conference in tears yesterday. Yeah. The pre-tournament availability for the Western and Southern Open was her first media session since the Tokyo Olympics, and she was upset by this exchange with Cincinnati Inquirer reporter Paul Dockery. Have a listen. You're not crazy about dealing with, with, with us, especially in this format. Yet you have a lot of outside interests that are, that are served by having a media platform. I guess my question is, how do you balance the two? And, and also, do you have anything you'd like to share with us about what you did say to Simone Biles? Um, when you say I'm not crazy about dealing with you guys, what does that refer to? Well, you've said you, you don't especially like the press conference format. Yet that seems to be the, the obviously the most widely used means of communicating to the media and through the media to the public. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I would say the occasion, like when to do the press conference is what I feel is the most difficult. But... I think we can move on to the next question, Naomi. Do you want to move on to the next question? Um, no, I'm actually very interested in that, like, point of view. I can't really speak for everybody, I can only speak for myself, but ever since I was younger, I've had a lot of media interest on me, and I think it's because of my background as well as, you know, how I play. But I would also say, like, I, I'm not really sure how to balance it too, like I'm figuring it out at the same time as you are, I would say. Uh, Courtney Nguyen, WTA Insider. Uh, hello, Naomi. Hopefully it's okay if I ask a couple of tennis questions. Um, the first one is just uh, uh, how the training has been and how your preparation has been for the, for the summer hard court swing. And the second one is just related to your tweet over the weekend uh, related to what's going on in Haiti. Um, and, uh, and yeah, um, just what your reaction is to the news there. Thank you. Um, sorry. No, you're super good. Okay. I think we're just going to take a quick break. Just, uh, we'll be back in one moment. Uh, obviously, just tough to watch. Tough to watch. So what was your reaction when you saw yeah, that exchange? To go get more context. Yeah. And the more context was after Naomi was brought to tears, she got up, she walked out, she returned and answered the question saying that she wasn't doing enough for Haiti at this juncture in time and that she hoped to do more in the future and then uh, proceeded to do a Japanese news conference right after that. And a lot of the clips uh, that I saw on shows, and I'm not, I'm not blaming the shows. Like, I know what happens in situations like ours. Mm -hmm. uh, we had to chop it down a little bit to make it work for time. And I saw a lot of clips of her just crying and walking off. And there's no context to what transpired. There's no back and forth. There's no... Listen, my bottom line is I don't know what we're doing here. Like, we're going to ask this young woman to go out there 
even if it brings it her to tears? Like, that seems ridiculous to me. It doesn't seem to make any sense to me. If she's not comfortable doing that, and I understand that that is um, part and parcel with the job that she does, though 95% of that job... 98%, 99% of that job, some would argue 100% of that job is playing tennis at a very high level. And she's obviously struggling with the other side of it. Why are we asking her to do that? I, I once heard, even, even if the question makes sense, like even if you don't think that there's this back and forth on Twitter on whether or not that guy bullied her, mm-hmm. right? And even if you think that the questions that he asked made sense. Like, I, I once heard a podcast with Benet Brown, a world-renowned professor and an author, talked to Barack Obama about paradox. And I think it's really important in 2021 to understand paradox about the ability to hold seemingly opposite things as both true. And I'm this is big brain stuff, and I'm obviously not sure I'm capable of handling this along with Jesse at this juncture in time. I, I would love, though, to have someone on and peel back the onion because yep. there's a lot here, right? And I think the media can both help and hinder. And as we move along the technology road, we're getting more and more media mm-hmm. and we're getting less and less access. And the access I've always thought or I've always looked at the media's role in that access is to provide Accountability one and translation from, especially in sports, translation from the athletes as we see it and organizations to the fans and from the fans back to the athletes and the organizations. And if we continue to press the way people are pressing some, you're just going to get less access. And then you're going to get more people controlling their own voice and you'll get less accountability. And I think it's just, it's a slippery slope where one person wants to make a point and you end up losing the humanity of it all. And for me, when you look at what's happening with Naomi Osaka, we're just lacking common sense and humanity in it. And that's the biggest problem with what I saw there. I think there's been a lot of criticism leveled at Naomi Osaka following what happened at the Mm. French Open, but Clearly, it's not a facade. You just watched it. Yeah. You just watched it happen. And it's, it's not tough just, for everybody to watch. And it's not just Naomi Osaka. No. It's big, tough dudes in the NFL who don't want to deal with your questions and don't have any other way to respond mm-hmm. than with snark. Or even we've seen players push media members before. Yeah. And that all comes from the same sort of anxiety. And I think there's like this, like I said, the media can help and hinder and some people don't know the difference, but I think there's room for everything if we all start with a little bit more humanity. Totally agree. But what do I know? All right. Would you believe we're over, just over, a month away from NHL training camps? Season openers less than two months away. It has been a busy month since the Lightning lifted the cup. We'll discuss the moves and what's to come. Former assistant GM of the NHL, Mike Feuda next. And like I said, I would love to peel that onion back a little bit more and have more of that conversation.
Welcome back to Tim and Friends. I just quickly saw this tweet, and I wanted to bring it up. Robert wrote in and said, When I grew up in the 80s and enjoyed watching a ton of tennis, I don't remember any of the players having to do post-batch press conferences. What happened to that? Mm. And, and therein lies the dilemma. I love Jimmy Connors, John Magro. I love that era. It was great tennis, and it was about the tennis on the court. But those guys also made like $165,000 a year, right? Right now, yeah, a little and, bit. And the difference between that and what they're making now maybe the answer to it but it didn't hurt the product in any way shape or form no it's just everyone else trying to get their their chunk of change uh we'll continue that conversation like i said i think it's really really interesting uh speaking of really interesting my good friend mike Fuda is joining us former assistant gm of the la kings and man Feuds like this off season. I know it's like shrink and I like just everything is jammed in but it seems like everywhere you turn there's something new happening it's, uh, it's been unbelievable, and I guess being on the media side of things, it's awesome. I mean, Lester Elliott probably is trying to get away, and there's something happening every day when he's trying to enjoy vacation. But Just leave me alone for a minute. <laughs> he's got to be still tweeting out. I know he's up north, but it's, it's unbelievable how much activity there's been, how much huge money's been thrown around, and how many big names have changed squads. But uh, it's fun. It makes you eager. And then you look, I think rookie camps started uh, almost a month today, so... Those people that just feel like you just watched the Tampa Bay Lightning cart in the cup front on the ice for getting ready to open up shop again. And hopefully there's a lot more fans in the stands to watch it. Yeah. Uh, yes. Hold on. Let me get it. Agreed. Uh, so we just put up a bunch of notable contracts. Um, NHL free agency opened at the end of July. We were on hiatus. What's, what's the one deal... Mike, that you loved for the team? Like, where's the, where do you, who do you think got away with a great deal? Well, I love that. I know it's not going to sound, I love Zach Hyman's game. And I think that's the type of player the Edmonton Oilers need. I mean, it doesn't surprise me at the the term, a player like that. Again, I just hope that he, (laughs) that he can remain healthy with the way he plays because he doesn't take any nights off. Uh, And the one that jumps out at me, it's not really probably, I'm a little concerned about the Dougie Hamilton trade. And it's not that Dougie Hamilton's not a outstanding uh, defenseman, but for me, there's a perfect fit for certain players and there's a comfort level with the way they play. And I just felt he was such a good fit after being traded a couple of times to go to Carolina and have players like, you know, Pesci and really solid defensive players that you can pair up with to kind of mask some of his defensive deficiencies. No doubt he can blow a game open uh, with his offense, but I just don't see the fit with a partner yet with uh, New Jersey. And that's a lot of money. And if all of a sudden the pressure's on and you're not performing, some people, uh, their personality seems to be a little bit... Um, a little bit different and I thought he was very comfortable as a person in Carolina and sometimes that translates into how well you play on the ice as well I, I couldn't it's on we should call it the Mark Mathot syndrome like where Eric Carlson plays with a guy there and goes ah, I don't I don't know how valuable he is and then when he goes away you see that that give and take between defense partners is can can be a, a lot more problematic or um, you can see a lot more differences in a guy's game when he's not paired with someone he's really comfortable Absolutely, with. Tim, yeah. especially when your history as well as your character and your personality is somebody that you're not the same player unless you're happy in your surroundings. So that's an awful lot of money to be tied in. And for his good and for the good of New Jersey Devils, I hope he, he blends in well and they find him a partner to play with. But when you look at the P.K. Subens of the world and uh, guys that, you know, they spend as much time offensemen, uh, I just don't see the match of that safety that safety valve that they have. And Ty Jones is going to be a great player for them too. But for Ty Smith, I don't I don't see that fit 
yet for him as a partner that's going to kind of poke some of the, cover up some of the blemishes defensively. Understood. It's funny, you and I sat in this very studio during the playoffs, looked at the Montreal Canadiens defense core, looked at the Tampa Bay Lightning's defense core, and thought, well, now we know what the copycat league is going to do in the offseason, and some big deals, Roman Yossi, Hamilton, uh, Seth Jones, Zach Wierenski, Darnell Nurse. Um, is this part and parcel to what we saw in the postseason was do you think there's a little bit of an overpay on some of these defensemen what was your general thoughts on the big money thrown at a couple of defensemen well obviously everybody realizes that that's I mean it doesn't hurt when you've got Vasilevsky in that as well but uh, <laughs> these teams were just uh, so or Carey deep Price. on the blue line yeah, yeah. or Carey Price exactly um, and I see I mean you look at a team like the Kraken that's clearly gone as Ron Francis did in Carolina, gone defense heavy. But I mean, Seth Jones, I guess now the big thing is some of these guys are leaving markets that aren't as large and there's a lot more pressure to perform when you go from a Columbus to a Chicago. Uh, so there's got to be a lot of guys that got to live up to their tickets. And um, you ha- you see players like, again, like Hedman in Tampa Bay that continually lives up to it. And it's going to be up to these guys. I mean, you got your payday. I was a little shocked with what CC got in Edmonton uh, as a, uh, Kenny Holland looked to screw up his blue line, and he, and he did a wonderful job. But I think some guys are uh, going to be pretty happy with cashing their new paychecks with, this, with what they signed for. And uh, lots of term, and now lots of expectations to live up to. All right, so Seth Jones joins Marc-Andre Fleury in Chicago. Like, what is that? Are the Blackhawks contenders? I don't see it yet. Um, I think uh, they're getting there. I mean, there's, there's another team that when you've got players like um, – like Patrick Kane, and I don't know the health status of, of you know, yeah, of, of their of their captain. I mean, Jonathan Taze. I mean, I think it's a huge thing for somebody to be able to like get Flurry, who just won the Vezina. Now you've got some new defensemen back, some younger defensemen that are going to need some support. So you've got a, a notable number one behind you. Uh, but again, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of that division. Uh, Patrick Kane keeps you alive, and uh, you know they've got. Uh, a nice seventh-round pick that the Los Angeles Kings gave up on in Dominic Kubilek, who seems to score about 30 a year, too. So <laughs> <laughs> they've got some uh, they've got some nice pieces, but again, they're going to be one of those teams that I think is just going to be on the cusp of uh, that playoff spot. And, you know, I guess if Blake Fleury gets hot, he can push him over the finish line. Uh, not bad for a seventh-rounder. Um, speaking of, uh, from the seventh round, we go to second overall. A lot of people looking at Jack Eichel's future. But there seems to be this almost, I don't even want to, like, is it foregone conclusion that he ends up with the Rangers when all is said and done? I think that's the last, well, the one thing when Kevin Adams talks about it, I mean, I don't get for one second that he's comfortable about the situation, but I do believe that he holds all the cards, and that probably because that's where Eichel's made it quite clear he wants to be. That's the last place in the world that Buffalo wants to trade him, especially, you know, for the New York situation. Even the, the proximity just doesn't make any sense. I think Jack Eichel's still one of maybe five or six players that are absolutely transit. They're just phenomenal. Their, their entire franchise is based on it. Uh, the asking price is probably going to have come down. There is no chance do I see any kind of um, honeymoon back where they give call Jack at the end of the month and say, come on back, we love you in Buffalo. The ship sailed there. I still don't know where he is health-wise. Teams that are trying to trade for him, whether he still needs the surgery now as we get closer to the season, uh, certainly not the time you want players to be having surgery when training camp's basically just around the corner. So there's a lot of floating pieces there. Um, I think there's some quiet teams. I know Anaheim's very much involved in the hunt. And it wouldn't be wouldn't surprise me to see even a team like the Calgary Flames look mm-hmm. at, at a situation like that where they're still trying to change their chemistry, change their mix, 
and uh, Buffalo's going to have to make a decision here shortly. Very interesting. Um, one of the things that I think we could spend a lot of time talking about, I think we could spend an entire show talking about the Olympics in Beijing, China, in about six months' time and what the hell that looks like. But will the NHLers be there, do you think, in February? I think they will. I hope for the game itself they, they, they are there. There's nothing quite like the memories. I mean, when you see, uh, I mean, just watching what our, what our Olympic women did in soccer and the pride of um, the pride of the country when you get to put your best forward and just uh, even the water cooler chat about who's going to be on a team such as that. Uh, I hope they find a way to do it. I think it's, I love the fact that they already named a coaching staff, which usually when things like that are happening, you start a pretty, pretty positive vibe about where things are going to end up. And I, I just think for hockey fans in the country in general, uh, it's something that you just never have to skip out on. And when it's the best of the best, I think for viewers and for everybody, players involved, um, you know, you talk about the Triple Crown, these guys that win a world championship or win a world junior gold, uh, win a Stanley Cup, and then we get a chance to win an Olympic gold medal. It's quite a quite a feat for uh, anybody to do. And again, I just I just to see, even think about, okay, now, you know, Connor McDavid, you know, playing on the line with Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon just gets my hockey juices flowing. Without a doubt. Uh, Mike, always great catching up with you. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Tim. Say yeah. to Jesse. I will. Hey, Mike. <laughs> uh, there is Mike Feuda from his home in the greater Toronto area. Time for a break. Last call up next. Uh, we will say hi to Jesse as we wrap up this edition of Tim and Friends. The last call. That's what a guy at a bar would say. Like, Thank Welcome back. It is last call time here on Tim and Friends, and that means I introduce Jesse Rubinoff or reintroduce. Jesse Rubinoff. Nice way to close out Ruby Tuesday on this mini Friday. I don't know if you can, can you do the Ruby Tuesday thing or do I have to do the Ruby just Tuesday? Just did. Didn't go over well. If right? you, no, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm asking. I'm not. I, I'll leave it I to mean, you. I mean, I guess if I'm asking, then I'm wondering right. if you can do it. No, I'll leave it to you for, for next Sebi, Tuesday. You're the third man in the, in the booth. Can he say Ruby Tuesday? Can I proclaim it Ruby Tuesday if I'm the go Ruby? Ahead, go ahead. He doesn't care. Yeah. He just wants to get out of here. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> well, working hard, he doesn't have well, one hand on the ledge today. <laughs> uh, okay, so we've seen a number of athletes, including he does NHL. Work two cameras. <laughs> yeah, he does. yeah, that's true. We should point that out. Yeah. Uh, we've seen a number of athletes, including NHL players recently, Matthew Kachuk, Austin Matthews, Alexander Ovechkin. Sending out their own non-fungible tokens or NFTs. And the great one, Wayne Gretzky. Oh, nice. Timmy, the great one's getting into the yak. Wayne tweeted out this video earlier today, I believe. Excited to drop my first ever NFT today with at autograph. My preseason access collection drops at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Grab your passes and start your very own collection. Why don't we make Upper that a little bigger? Too, eh? See what they look like there. So... They're available in five colors, carbon, platinum, emerald, sapphire, and ruby. Ruby Tuesday. Nice. I see what you're doing. There. Nice. With I'll prices ranging from $25 to $25 to $1,500. The question is, would you buy a Gretzky NFT? So do, do you have to buy the single, like I can't open a pack and hope to get the best one? Which I think is sapphire or whatever the hell. So you want you want like the top shot type experience. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like I want to be able to open it. And I think that's the, the lure of all cards. Right. And by the way, what does fungible mean? Do you have any idea? Oh, this Someone is a road. Need- I, I, there's not enough time in the show here to go down the non-fungible token road. Someone needs to be just Okay, fungible. another follow-up. Should we revisit the top shots? 
Uh, yes. Like, hit us up. Like, hit, hit me up specifically if you want I think we should. info on the top Because when, when we opened that pack, it looked like you would got a five thousand dollar the market was bullish the market was bullish the market ain't bullish anymore i think we need a follow-up so that kids don't (laughs) spend their money on stuff like this okay we'll do it we'll do it before and after okay i'm moving on sticking with though with memorabilia of sorts a tissue used by Lionel messi what at his emotional barcelona farewell news conference has been put up for auction with an asking price of one million (laughs) dollars Uh, One million dollars, cut or uncut, I use tissue as memorabilia. How, how do you quantify that this was the tissue used? And two, can we have video anywhere of the person going? And like, where did they grab the tissue? Where did they get the used tissue from? Like, did he throw it into I'll the garbage you. and you picked it out? Someone, he, yeah. Someone obviously picked it out, but look, look, it's the age of DNA. You can test the tissue. (laughs) If you're going to spend a million dollars on Lionel Messi's tissue, you better be testing that DNA. How about this? That guy is an idiot or girl is an idiot, and we need more stories like this. Uh, A Polish Olympian who finished second in the javelin, Maria Andrzejczyk, auctioned off something. Mm. Her silver medal, do you know why she auctioned it off? To send an eight-month-old to get a heart surgery oh, in the United States. And she sold it for 125 k American. And the winning bid was Zabka, which is a Polish supermarket. And you know what they did? They paid the money and gave her her medal back. Everyone's happy at the end of that. Zabka, you just got free advertising on a Canadian TV show. That is worth its weight in gold, silver, or bronze, my friends. Kid goes to get his surgery, and Maria gets her silver medal back. Take that tissue, dude. Um, Do you want to clear one thing up? Neil says his title is actually font director and not font coordinator. Associate director, I've learned. We gave credit for Ruby Tuesday to Neil Mattias, said he was the font director. We said he was the font coordinator. coordinator. He is the font associate director. Wants us to put respect on his name. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> That's it for us. Up next, especially that five nine in the bed. You have to know Neil. You, you, you just you gotta know Neil. It's Jays and Nats opening a mini two game series. Sportsnet, Red Sox and Yankees. The Jays games on YouTube. We're done for the day. Back on Thursday. <laughs>